welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Hey, good morning, Garden Church. Um, I'm so excited to continue us in our Advent series. Um, We have been going through, um, this is now the third week of Advent. I hope that you're enjoying the devotional and all the different resources that we've provided for you. Um, We are in a teaching series through Advent called Greater Than. And we've been looking at four themes or four words of Advent, um, words joy, hope, peace, and love. And today I'm really excited to um, look at the word hope, um, specifically um, this message being titled, Hope is Greater Than Despair. My name's Amy. If I haven't met you yet, um, it's nice to virtually meet you. I am the youth pastor on staff here at the Garden, and um, I absolutely believe that I have the best job in the world because I get to hang out with high schoolers and middle schoolers all the time, (laughs) which brings me so much joy. Um, This last summer, I took a group of high school girls on a 12-day 12-day road trip. It was exhausting, but it was also epic. We went to six states, drove over 2,700 miles, and visited some of the most beautiful places. Um, Maybe you've been there, places like Zion and Bryce and the Grand Canyon and Arches and so much more. Let me tell you, after months of being in quarantine, Um, only being able to meet and connect with students online or one-on-one in these like smaller, safe ways, this trip was a big deal. Twelve days, the seven of us um, just sharing life together. This trip was full of hype and spontaneous stops and adventure, ultimate road trip playlists that, of course, we sung along to. And yet... At the same time, here we are, it's early August, and I'm with a group of young women, right? We've already been adjusting to life in a pandemic, whatever that means. And so as much fun as this trip was, there was this really intense sense of despair or um, kind of discouragement that lingered each day. It seems that each day one of us received bad news um, or our struggles and brokenness began to surface. It was in this trip that God was teaching me to carry both joy and sorrow and what that like tangibly actually looked like. To carry both hope that things would be normal again and things might get better even by the time we get home while also acknowledging that right now circumstances didn't seem to be getting better, and things back in Long Beach kind of sucked, for lack of better words. Important things like graduations, weddings, and proms had already been canceled for these teens and their families, for myself, being told to stay at home, not being around friends, having an increase of screen time, an increase of both political and racial tensions, feeling afraid of loved ones being sick, were all current circumstances while we were on this fun trip that we were dealing, processing, and living in. I couldn't help but find myself confused on even, like, how do I lead in this time? 
how do I show up to these moments where we're laughing and full of life and excitement and literally adventure as we see like Zion in these beautiful places while also feeling the realness that the girls I'm with and myself, there's struggles of anxiety, depression, addiction, grief, loss. What I found that was so kind of God is that he wasn't asking me to fake a smile and just pull us out of these heavy things. No. What the road trip was for me was an invitation to show up to each moment for what it was and somehow to be able to hold both joy and grief in the same moment to be able to lament with others the current circumstances while also being filled with hope and trust. And so I share this because as I was preparing to share on hope in this Advent series, I just continued to be reminded of these things that God began to reveal to me over the summer and through this quarantine. You see, it's in Advent where we sit in tension. We have the celebration and the the beauty of looking back at Jesus's birth. We celebrate that the promised Messiah that people were waiting on came. While also we look ahead at the promise of Jesus's second coming, the renewal of all things. And so it's an advent where we become especially aware of this in-between space that you and I are living in, this now and not yet. It's in this tension where we are right now that we need the gift of hope. I find myself believing that hope is really similar to optimism, right? And naturally, I'm an optimistic person, so I would therefore consider myself a pretty hopeful person, and I hope for the best. A downside to this, too, though, is unfortunately, I tend to love to avoid pain and hard conversations, and definitely don't want to get into all the feels. Now, God is doing some work in me as I shared on the, from this road trip where through the disappointment and loss that my family personally has experienced, that as a community we've experienced, what God is teaching me um, is I'm becoming more and more okay with saying not everything's okay. The thing is, is having an accurate view of hope and an accurate view of God, um, or excuse me, having an inaccurate view of hope or an inaccurate view of God can lead us down a path of denial where kind of like we force ourselves to say everything's fine, even when it's not. Everything's fine. We feel this need to show up to places with a forced smile or the only way we'd be accepted is if we're happy and optimistic and positive if we join in on the conversation. We tend to lean into what seems to be defined these days as toxic positivity. This is where biblical hope comes in. Because biblical hope is not toxic positivity. Hope is not optimism. Hope is not denying the reality of the current circumstances. Hope is not even surveying the land 
and putting your bet that things could get better. No. Biblical hope is not rooted in changing circumstances, but in an unchangeable God. I would say that again. <laughs> Biblical hope is not rooted in changing circumstances, but in an unchangeable God. In the Old Testament, one of the Hebrew words used for hope is kava, which means to wait. What? To wait. And the word in waiting is about tension. When you're, um, the tension we feel when we're waiting for something to happen, when we're waiting for something to be fulfilled or to change. So to wait is to hope. And in scripture, we see we wait in our current circumstances, not waiting for the circumstances to change, but we're told throughout scripture to wait on God or put our hope in God. And that means trusting in his timing that he will fulfill his promises. Before the birth of Jesus, the people of God, the people of Israel, were waiting on God. They had hoped that God would fulfill his promise and send Jesus, the Messiah. And it's interesting to me as I was reflecting on the arrival of the Messiah, how much waiting is involved. How much waiting is involved in God's promises. Stay with me here. Think about this. (laughs) The people of God waited in silence for 400 years until God spoke to Zechariah and shared the fulfillment of the birth of John the Baptist, which, as we know, prepared the way for the birth of Jesus. I can't even wrap my mind around waiting for 400 years as a people for something. You know, we often read the Christmas story and an angel comes to Mary and reveals this miraculous conception. And then just a few verses later, you have the birth of Jesus. But if we stopped and looked, we would see that Mary had to wait nine months, 40 weeks for her promise to be fulfilled after an angel spoke of this miraculous conception. Jesus himself, after his birth, waited 33 years before he began his public ministry. We can read in what we celebrate at Easter, Jesus' disciples waited three days for the resurrection. And we're still waiting. (laughs) As Jesus followers, we continue to wait for the new heaven and the new earth to come. The thing with waiting is waiting is painful and irritating and frustrating. If you ever had to wait for something, small or big, you know this. And the pain of the people of God in the waiting was incredibly real. And it's important that we don't miss this. In the examples I just listed, imagine with me 400 years of silence and unchanging circumstances, in fact, probably circumstances getting worse, where God's people, um, probably many doubting their faith, perhaps feeling abandoned by their creator. But I also imagine there was a few clinging to the promise of the Messiah. 
again, looking at Mary, I imagine Mary's birth pains were incredibly real. And her 40 weeks of pregnancy was no walk in the park. She knew she was bringing in the Messiah into the world, but I doubt it was all done with no sweat and no pain as she labored in a barn (laughs) or she chased around a toddler raising Jesus. Myself expecting a child in the upcoming weeks, I can't help but smile and laugh when I hear lyrics to a song like Away in the Manger that, that say, No Crying He Made where although beautiful and majestic the birth of Jesus was, it was also very real, and I'm sure there were some crying babies involved. I think of Jesus himself who died on the cross for our sins. The whole reason the Messiah came, to bring forgiveness, to reconcile us back to God, to bring life and salvation, all of that being fulfilled as Jesus hangs on a cross. In this ultimate moment of joy where we know it was his love for us that held him there, I believe he felt excruciating pain as he was pierced, as he bore the weight of our sin on his shoulders. So this moment of ultimate joy and redemption was also the moment of ultimate pain. Here's my point. The point is this. There is pain in the waiting. And waiting is a tense and painful process. Paul himself writes in Romans 8 that the whole earth is groaning in the waiting. And this is the profound truth about our hope being rooted in God. This is the profound reality of us living in what we call the now and not yet. Jesus ushered in his kingdom with his birth and sending his spirit Yet heaven has not fully been established here on earth. And so we sit in tension and pain. We wait. We are still praying, right? I hope we're still praying. Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so, yes, we pray for these pains to be no more, right? We pray for less anxiety. We pray for less addiction. We pray for loneliness and violence to be gone. We pray and seek justice and peace and unity. So this waiting and this tension, I mean, we actively wait. We participate in the waiting by seeing the way of God come here and now. But while we wait for Jesus' second coming and the renewal of all things, as we're experiencing all too well in 2020, there will be pain in our waiting. But church, remember this. Our hope is not rooted in the circumstances, but in who we know our God to be. Our hope is in his character. He is a man of his word, and there is certainty in his promises. In fact, we're going to turn to Hebrews, Hebrews 6, 13. And I love that this um, passage, if you look above, I have the NIV translation. It's even titled, The Certainty of God's Promises. And so Hebrews 6, beginning in verse 13, we read this. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently 
Abraham received what was promised. The next couple of verses talk about the oath and the covenant that God made with Abraham. And we pick up again in verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. And actually, if you go back up to verse 18, I skipped over this, but it says, God did this. He fulfilled his promise by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. And then again, verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. I just love that. And there's so much there to unpack, but here's a few things I want to draw to our attention. The first one is hope as an anchor for our soul. The second was that verse, it is impossible for God to lie. And the third is that we have people in the scripture like Abraham to look as an example that God fulfills his promises. Here in Hebrews, the author describes hope so beautifully as an anchor for the soul. An anchor for our souls. This summer, I got my California boater's license. I know, very exciting. Have I ever driven a boat? No. Do I own a boat? Not yet. But I learned a lot about boats and I'm pretty legit because I took a three hour test and I paid the state of California $10. I have a card at home. Um, So again, very official. But I did all this so that I could drive a jet ski and be a backup driver just in case of an emergency. But I was paying attention on this three hour test. And here's the thing about anchors on boats. If you aren't too familiar, hopefully this catches you up to my level of boat expertise. Uh, The purpose of an anchor on a boat is to prevent it from drifting away with the current. Right? If sailors didn't use anchors, their boats would drift aimlessly about the harbor. Or if they caught the right current or wave, their boat could be pulled out to sea or gone off course. Anchors also serve a useful purpose. They could help control a boat's movement when the captain wants it to stay in one place so that the boat can be resupplied, fixed, cleaned, or even because they just need a break and want to anchor in a beautiful spot. What incredible picture of hope. Hope is an anchor for our soul. Imagine with me if this is what our lives looked like. That as people of God, we would toss out our anchor of hope and we would stand fully secure and confident. It doesn't matter what the circumstances, culture, or disappointment we would experience because it wouldn't drag us out to sea. Because we would be secure and firm. We would not be taken off course. We would not be worn down because of our anchor. Hope would be this anchor that brings peace, rest, security in the midst of waves that are ever-changing 
and an unpredictable current. We can imagine this, but this is also the invitation, the invitation of a relationship with Jesus, that this is the life that Jesus offers, that he is our hope, our anchor. The author in Hebrews also uses the example of Abraham in that passage. If you don't know a lot about Abraham, um, here's hopefully an honorable statement about him. He was an old man that was promised to be the father of generations to come. God told him that, um, that God's people would be his descendants, but he was old and childless. Um, I believe scripture says Abraham was around 100 and his wife Sarah 90. So if you're looking at the odds and surveying what's happening here, it doesn't seem very likely <laughs> that God would use an old childless couple to bring his descendants into the world. But yet, if you turn to Genesis, first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 21, let me turn there. This is what we read. Genesis 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave him the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight years old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. I love the verse that we just read there. The Lord did what he promised. Despite the circumstances, despite the odds, the Lord did what he had promised Abraham. And this is where the author of Hebrews also says it's because it's impossible for God to lie. So every word that God has spoken will come to be. Every promise will be fulfilled. And we can trust in that because it is impossible for God to lie. So we can put our hope in him. We can put our hope in seeing the things that he's spoken be fulfilled. Again, this is despite circumstances and not in our timing, but in God's. The thing with hope and despair is hope keeps us focused on the certainty of God's promise. We keep our eyes on the truth, on God's words, on the things that he said. Despair keeps our focus on the circumstances in our life. Things will never change. Things will always be this way. I know God said this, but, but, but I'm still struggling with the same thing. Hope keeps us focused on the certainty of God's promises. Despair keeps our focus on the circumstances in our lives. This is where, again, that wonderful author in Hebrews, many think she was a woman, uh, later in Hebrews, we read one of my favorite verses, Hebrews 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And th these are our instructions. Our eyes fixed on Jesus, fixed on who he is, 
following him, not looking left or right to what's going on around us, fixing our eyes on Jesus because he is our hope. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we'll live in the reality in the realm of hope. And it's when we remove our eyes from him where we're led to despair. So here's my question in all of this. Maybe you're thinking the same thing too. Sounds all good, Amy. But here's the question. How can we have this certainty of God's promises despite current circumstances that don't seem to be changing? Or put maybe more simply or shortly, how can we become people of hope? Well, I have a few thoughts here. And the first one being, I believe it begins with grieving and lamenting the current circumstances that bring despair. I think we all can agree that 2020 is a challenging year and a year where, if anything, we all have experienced a loss of some kind. So take a moment, even right now. Have you lost a job this year? Have you been asking God for the same miracle, prayer after prayer after prayer, for years? Has someone you loved been sick or passed away? are no longer a part of your life. Becoming people of hope means not denying the reality or the weight of these things, but stepping in and acknowledging the pain and the tension that we do sit in. God does not need us to avoid the pain. He doesn't need us to edit and fix it all before we come to him. No, he meets us in the pain. He meets us in the disappointment and he meets us in the hurting. And it's that type of intimacy with Jesus when you bring him, um, when you meet him in the pain that leads to faith, that can genuinely say, despite the circumstances, I trust in the Lord. We see this with friendships and relationships all the time, and it's the same with our relationship with the Creator. When you go through hard things with your um, spouse or a friend or your community, um, that pain, that, that difficulty brings intimacy and brings a stronger relationship where you can trust and connect in new ways. That's the same way with our relationship with God. We see this in the Psalms. The psalmists demonstrate this very well for us. In fact, Psalm 13, it's incredible. Here you have David literally like, I picture him on his knees in tears, maybe not even tears, like anger, asking God, how long, Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? How long will my enemies triumph over me? But he, so he brings his pain, he brings his question, he brings his waiting to God. But he ends this beautiful, honest psalm in verse 5, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. We see this tension of honesty and pain while we're waiting for our circumstances to change, while also being able to acknowledge and proclaim the goodness of God. Trusting in his unfailing, meaning he won't fail you. He won't let you down. We can hold both. And God is so kind in that, that he allows us to bring 
all of it to him. It's in the waiting where we find this invitation to draw near to God and to, rev- and to learn more about his character. So bring the pain, bring the anxious thoughts, bring the uncertainties, and lay them at his feet. This isn't toxic positivity. This isn't um, anything like that. Be yourself and bring it to God. And secondly, as we look at how do we become people of hope? Well, I can't encourage you enough and myself enough to spend time in the word. Spend time looking at God's promises and looking at his character. Looking at the promises that he has spoken over you. Scripture reveals so much of the Father's heart, so much of the Father's promises over your life. He wants you to know and trust in the promise that you are never alone, that he is always with you, that you are more than a conqueror, that nothing is impossible for God, that one day all pain and suffering will end, that one day all oppression will be gone. These are promises from his word. And as we look to become people of hope, we can look to these promises. Write these down. And yes, in scripture, but also apart from scripture, write down the prophetic words that you've received from your friends, from your house church, um, from your community. Write down the words that Holy Spirit has whispered to you in the quiet. Choose to trust and put your hope and seeing these things fulfilled through Jesus. And lastly, before we close, I have one more piece of scripture I want us to look at, and that's Romans 8. And I referenced this verse earlier in talking about um, the whole earth groaning as we wait for the renewal of all things. But Paul writes to us in Romans 8, We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. I love that question that Paul throws at us. Who hopes for what they already have? If you already have it, you're not waiting on it, right? Who hopes for what they already have? So he's getting at putting our hope in Jesus. We put our hope in his return and we wait eagerly and patiently for the things that have yet to come. And this challenged me and makes me wonder, well, what is it that we're hoping for? Paul reminds us that we have God's spirit, his presence inside of us. And God's spirit will guide us and remind us and groan for us um, this hope in Jesus and seeing the redemption of all things. This hope, though, is connected to things unseen, right? Who hopes for what they already have? The promises that have yet to be fulfilled, the prayers that have yet to be answered, 
a kingdom that is yet to fully come. God's inviting us to realign our perspective and lift our eyes above the current circumstances to the things unseen. So Garden Church, keep praying those big prayers that still seem impossible. Keep bringing God's kingdom everywhere you go. Keep fixing your eyes on Jesus, for he is our hope. And so we now, on this side of the Christmas story, also look back at the resurrection of Jesus. And we can look ahead to our own redemption, as Paul writes, the redemption of our bodies. Um, Jesus has overcome death, and we know that he is seated in the heavenly throne. And we put our hope in him and we wait eagerly for him. There is no other name than the name of Jesus that we can put our trust in. There is no one other than him that can offer this type of hope. There is no one else worth waiting on but Jesus. And so the invitation this Christmas is to simply receive the gift of hope to be filled with hope, to have your hope renewed. The gift of hope that comes only in Jesus, who is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises. We celebrate that God has not forgotten his people or his promises. We see that in the birth of Jesus. We also celebrate God's desire to be with us. And we look back as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we also are invited to look ahead and be filled with hope and continue to place our, G- our hope in Jesus. And we place our hope in him knowing, confidently, secure with an anchor that he will renew all things. That he will fulfill his promises. We can be certain of it. We hope and pray for the things that have yet to fully come. Those things unseen. And the invitation is to allow hope to be our anchor. Hope in Jesus to be our anchor which will keep us trusting and believing in him. And because we have this anchor, as Paul writes and others in scripture, we can wait patiently without being pulled from side to side or being pulled out to sea. We can bring this hope to the world around us who are desperately searching for any sort of anchor. And so as we close our time, I want to pray for us. As I was going through this talk, maybe you were painfully aware of the grief and loss and despair that you experienced this year. And I want to pray for God's comfort, peace, and love over you. I want to encourage you that God sees you. He's weeping with you. He has not forgotten you or forsaken you. And one of the promises that I believe God wants to remind many of us of today is that promise that he is always with you, that God is always with you. And secondly, I can't help but think of the imagery of hope in Jesus being an anchor for our soul. And as I was describing that type of relationship with Jesus, maybe there's some that haven't experienced faith in Jesus in that way. And if that's you, God, I believe, is drawing near to you. He's inviting you to fully trust him, for him to be the anchor of your life. Not work, family, success, politics, or anything else 
that we might try to center our lives around. And so regardless of how many times you've been to church or streamed church um, or how much you know about God, I believe he's moving and drawing many to surrender it all and make him that anchor, that center of your life. And he's inviting you today to put your trust in him. And so I want to pray for those two things and close our time. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that you are a God who keeps his promises, that you are a man of your word, that we can rest securely and confidently in you, even when circumstances around us um, are, shake us. We would be unshakable. I thank you for that. I pray specifically for those that have experienced grief, loss, and despair this year. I pray, God, that your comfort, peace, and love would just pour out over them, that they would be filled with your spirit. They would know that you are with them, that you see them, that you love them. Would you meet them where they are? Would you help them to bring their grief and their lament to you? And God, I thank you that you are someone we can trust And I pray that you would give us um, humility and the ability to put our full trust in you. So we just repent. We turn away from the things that we want. um, We tend to center our lives around. um, And we just, we surrender that to you completely. And I pray for those who, whether for the first time or for many times, um, that they would put your trust, put their trust in you. And so we bless you, Jesus. Would you just continue to speak to us as we journey through Advent, as we celebrate the gifts of joy, hope, peace, and love. Um, And we just bless you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.